Welcome to The Dead Format, episode 52. My name is Ian McEwen, and for the first time ever tonight, I am not joined by my co-host, Tom Smiley. He is very busy with his finals this week. Uh, listeners might know he's taking a bunch of uh, master's course classes or something along those lines, and uh, it's his finals week, so... So you're stuck with us. Yeah. <laughs> I decided to do something a little different this week. Uh, for our regular listeners, this is still going to be a legacy podcast. I'm sure you just heard Nathan Golia in the background. Uh, but it's also going to be an old school podcast. We have some royalty with us. And, you know, we're usually, our, our listeners will know, we're usually like this meat and potatoes, no nonsense legacy podcast, of course. But uh, we've discussed old school quite a bit. And this isn't going to be an old school episode per se, but it's more like zooming out and looking at the big picture of how legacy is and isn't like old school. And really, I think what we can learn from the old school community as like the face of competitive legacy continues to change. Uh, so this is going to be like uh, crossing the streams, like uh, intersectional eternalism, maybe. Intersectional, <laughs> okay. So yeah, basically uh, our guest, you've, you've heard Nate a couple times now. I hope not his cat yet, I don't think, but. We've got you a, won't hear my cat. You'll hear me scream when she jumps on my like leg <laughs> with her claws. So Nate, Nate's actually been on the cast before. You, people have heard him before, but I'm sure anybody who listens to our cast probably knows who Nate is anyway. Just as a, his own podcast, Eternal Dirtles, and as a member of the community, he's somebody I really respect as a podcaster and occasionally respect as a deck builder too. So I'm really glad to have him on. That sounds like the correct proportion of respect. Thank you. <laughs> And our other guest is, uh, I like to refer to him as the Benjamin Franklin of old school. This is uh, Dave Firth Bard. Hey, and uh, thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, it's, it's our pleasure, man. Both you guys. I'm, I'm just really happy to be hanging out with you guys. I'm really glad you could do this on short notice and everything. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. No problem. I was, I was looking at uh, Benjamin Franklin's Wikipedia, and he has 12 commas in uh the first sentence of his article like you know he's all these things he's like a printer and a firefighter <laughs> and i was thinking about dave dave you're like the the founder of neos our ambassador to sweden you're a brewer you play a ton of skype games you're an author you're a world traveler an event planner it's, it's crazy bro oh, you make form you ban cards sometimes <laughs> like you you have your hand in everything just to like introduce you to the legacy listeners who might not know like you can't really understate how much New England old school is day for bark. I mean, so I, I would say uh, out of all those things, I just want to be known for playing a ton of old school magic. And I guess secondarily as a, as an organizer for New England old school and also for the, um, the Skype community um, for old school online, um, which is uh, kind of a unique thing, I guess, among magic formats, right? Like we, um, Instead of we can't play on Moto uh, and we can't play on other like online simulations necessarily, so we actually like play using webcams. Um, so there's a a pretty small but pr very very enthusiastic international scene, and so I, I organize uh, like virtual events for for that group too. I mean that's really awesome. I know since I've been doing a little bit more middle school and related formats recently that that's something that you know many people have mentioned. I didn't realize it was that formalized in old school, and that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's really a pretty important part for, part of the fabric of, of the format, right? Because for old school, um, like the cards themselves, like as as objects to kind of engage with, are are important, right? Like the aesthetic is important, um, and so playing in paper and showing off the cards that you have is, is kind of a really it, it's it's 
just kind of part and parcel of the, of the actual experience of playing. So being able to see like in physical space, what your opponent has, um, be able to comment on, on their cards and their altars and stuff like that is, uh, it's just kind of a, another layer to the, to the whole thing. Old school being the only format where dexterity cards are legal. How does that work <laughs> with Skype? <laughs> yeah. So it, it's, we get that question a lot. Um, but it's a pretty simple kind of straightforward pragmatic solution. I guess you just kind of for chaos orb, we have an errata, um, for which is global to all old school like 93 94 formats chaos orb you you choose a permanent basically to destroy um, yeah. and then you get a fair flip on the card um and so uh, over skype you just kind of designate one of your own cards um as a stand-in for what you're destroying on the opponent's side and you flip onto your own card i have more old school questions but it is ian's podcast so where do you want to take us ian <laughs> This is awesome. I'm just listening, honestly. I'm just absorbing this. I just wanted to throw in real quick that while it is hugely important, the Skype format of playing, that's also something that I've never done and honestly haven't really thought about doing. So it's not like it's necessary to anybody who might be thinking about it. But if you live somewhere that there's not a big scene, it kind of might be. But yeah, I just wanted to throw that in there. But kind of where I wanted to start off was just to briefly for you, Dave, and for our listeners to explain sort of what's going on with Competitive Legacy I know that you keep up with some magic news, right? I, I don't want to misrepresent. Oh, no, sure, yeah. I'm not like a weird hermit. You know, I've been involved in the game for the last five years, and that started out by playing limited. So um, since then, I've been, you know, at least a passive follower of, like, you know, new sets like spoilers and stuff. Mostly it amounts to me saying, oh, that looks like it would be a really fun uh, draft environment. Yeah. If only I weren't spending every waking moment thinking and playing, uh, thinking about and playing old school, I would actually like to draft, you know, Modern Horizons or, you yeah. know, pretty much any of the new sets look pretty sweet. So basically, you you may know this already, but just to recap really quick, back in like 2013, 2014, Star City would have legacy events literally every Sunday they'd be on camera. And those were, you know, reasonably large events. I don't remember if they were paying out 10K at the time, I want to say, but I'm not 100%. But there were big competitive legacy events on camera basically every weekend. They had something like 40 weeks of the year in 2013. So that was like a high point for us. And there was like Grand Prix New Jersey at the end of 2014. That was a hugely attended legacy Grand Prix. And since then, every year it's gotten a little more like, oh, you know, are we going to get two Grand Prix? Are we going to get even one Grand Prix? You know, how many star cities? Yeah. And like, yeah, how many star cities are we going to get? And there's always this sort of like tension, like, are, are, is this the year that they're going to end competitive legacy, right? Mm-hmm. And what does that mean for the community? Because like, that's been such a, such a part like of the fabric of legacy, like what legacy is. It's, you know, it's this format, this eternal format that people enjoy playing, but it's also these big competitive events. And what's the decoupling of those going to result in, right? Yeah, I actually, I mean, the way Legacy going competitively has sort of evolved is it's become this very online-focused format where, you know, you get, you get a lot of online results that are actually at, they add high-level tournament support online. That is true. And that means that there is certain, it's, it's almost like different, it's like, it sounds weird to say, but it would be easier for me to like travel to a Legacy tournament on a weekend than it would be to like sit in my room and play a Legacy challenge or a legacy playoff online just from like a you know dude it's true family perspective you know yeah definitely dave knows that too probably oh no absolutely 
So we, we do, um, like I said, we do Skype games, but we do, we do tournaments and you can't, one thing that we found out pretty early in the organization of those is like, you can't just sit in your house for four five, six hours, like in the same chair playing online on a Saturday or a Sunday. A lot of guys, as you can imagine, boy, old school, like the demographic is very much guys like in their thirties and forties now. Mm-hmm. A lot of us have families and you know, our jobs or different responsibilities. Um, it's and you can get away from that every once in a while to do an in-person event on a Saturday, and that's that is to your point a lot easier than you know actually carving the time out. As, as funny as it sounds, it's it's easier to play on a Saturday way way far away from home than <laughs> actually in your own home. You need to be out of sight, out of mind. Absolutely, <laughs> really what it comes down to, and that and that's what I say. But like that doesn't mean that everybody who plays Legacy is in that position and, and the online. Uh, metagame that's very robust and has a very you know pretty committed community of people who are playing you know challenges every weekend you know up to 100 people a week um which is a little bit smaller than the star cities but also i would say it's not that bad in a way i guess so we, we see a lot of online tournaments and a lot of that's where a lot of the action is happening you're not you're not seeing decks sort of tuned in real time in paper and there is a difference i think between a paper focused format and an online focused format just in the fact, like if you're if you're physically, I did this the other day. I got my cards out because I was building a deck for, uh, or like building a legacy deck. And as I was like going through my cards, I was like, oh yeah, I remember this card. You know, I'm not just typing in the card I want or just uploading the list and making my tweaks. There's more exploratory stuff, so you maybe might be more apt to see some like tech, you know, for lack of a better word, or something, yeah. you know, spicy in a paper tournament. Just because someone like oh, I saw this card, and I'm going to this tournament this weekend, and I'll give it a shot, you know? Hmm. So what we've lost, like, I don't feel like there's there's less competitive legacy, because I don't actually think there was that much of a legacy challenge scene when Star City stopped doing weekly opens. It just sort of replaced it, but it's it's tilted how legacy has developed in a, in a way. And there's actually so many things that have gone into legacy development, too, just in terms of, like, what's been printed and what's been, what's legal and what isn't, but... uh I think we're seeing a lot of this stuff happen online and just like, you know, getting barrage, uh, getting a barrage of online results that are of a different sort of character based on the objectives of playing online than you see uh, in paper. That's why Nate's here, man, because that's a great point that I was just going to totally miss. And you're absolutely right about that, 100%. There's, there's actually really not less events, right, with the prominence of challenges now yeah. and the, the prize support and everything. That That's a wonderful point. I just wanted to throw in... That tool that you guys use, Dave, for, for deck lists, nobody in Legacy really uses that. And that's like been one of the coolest things. It's Mana Stack. Oh, Mana Stack. My God. Yeah. I, 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 I can't remember life without it to the point where it went down um, like last week at one point for, I don't know, six hours. And all of my friends and I were freaking out um, <laughs> because, we, you know, we had these brew ideas and we, we were like, oh, what other tools exist? And I'm like trying to rack my brain to think about like what I used um, before this tool. It's like a, it's a visual, it's just a beautiful um, visual layout tool, which for us is really important. I can't even read a, seriously, I cannot, like my brain can't parse text, um, like as far as deck lists go. All the deck lists um, in old school are, are shared visually exclusively. So usually that's either a photo of the actual cards or if you're just brewing something quick and or iterating, you know, you don't want to lay out your cards every single time that you want to communicate something. So um, mm-hmm. we use Mana Stack as a tool to 
you know, to share, you know, your curve, like the, the art is so iconic and instantly recognizable that, you know, if you're kind of steeped in the scene, like you can visually diagnose what a deck is doing instantaneously um, without having to parse the, the words, which is pretty amazing. It really is an awesome tool. I'll check it out. I just, I just, I, you know, there's so many of these deck builders. I'll check this one out though on your recommendation. Yeah, Mattis deck rules. Can't say enough about it. It's so unfortunate that we've actually gotten that way probably with looking at moto lists. Like you sure, recognize like a big Y and G and you're like, oh, that's Young Pyromancer, you know? <laughs> We're not recognizing some beautiful art. We're recognizing like one of the ugliest things in, in the history of probably the 2000s video gaming. Yeah. And I'm guilty of it now that I use Magic Online a lot to play yep. Legacy. <laughs> You know, but it, it, I think that, like, uh, I don't know how I'm going to stay on Legacy for a minute and, and what's going on competitively, but, you know, it, it, it's it's like old school in, in compared to Legacy seems like more of a respite. There's just so much information in Legacy right now, just so many things being thrown at you. There's yes. um, a ton of new cards come entering the format. You, you know, you, you never quite know, like... What you, what you're gonna what you're gonna face or or anything like that and that can be fun it can also be overwhelming and uh, you know I think that's gonna be a, a real interesting impact on competitive legacy through the summer here whereas we go into a, a September you know fall Grand Prix where you know, people are gonna be taking the summer with all these new cards yeah so can I ask a question about that I imagine like War of the Spark and Modern Horizons have made or are poised to make a pretty big impact. You know, knowing nothing really about how any of these these new formats work, but um, but you've had this kind of influx. So through the um the moto tournaments, uh, is that the challenges? Yeah. So does like tech and like brewing like iteration and stuff? I imagine that happens pretty quickly if you have these events firing every week, right? Like, where does innovation come from um in legacy? Nate, do you want me to take that? I'll let you start. Yeah. All right. First of all, I just want to say you just called Legacy a new format, which is which is awesome. <laughs> I love true. it. But honestly, I don't think that innovation has really been happening at the rate that these new sets would necessitate. Like if people were really pounding on Legacy the way that I, I think that they were maybe four or five years ago. Because a lot of the results, there have been some real cool stuff. I know that dude Max, I believe, did the Karn Bomberman deck. And the integration of Dreadhorde Arcanist and Narset from the last set and, and Ren and Six specifically from the new set. Mm-hmm. Those cards are just so obviously powerful and Karn the Great Creator are just so obviously powerful that they've been incorporated and Ugin into the Postwalkers deck too. But in, in terms of like actually catching your breath and saying, okay, these are the decks to beat and how do I attack them? And how do I best play around a card like Narset? Like, I think that there are... More so than ever since I started playing Legacy again, I think that there are decks out there that have not been built yet that could exploit this meta. And we're kind of seeing it now with people doing well with just like 2012 Maverick, right? Nate, you can jump in here. Yeah, I was going to say, I've got the, uh, I've got the uh, tickets to burn to prove that people are... Someone, some people are out there trying new stuff. I tried a couple new brews this week. Not everything went great, but um, yeah, I think that, yeah, there's a lot of... The online community of, of players where most of the innovation happens as opposed to the start like it used to be there was a star city there were star cities mm-hmm. and there were star city grinders and they were you know they would sort of play against each other and play off each other and if you were gonna go to a, a Star City legacy tournament you sort of knew this person was gonna be here and they've been playing this or whatever. But they're still traveling from city to city and, and different areas have different tastes. 
um, and that would change it. But now you have this like sort of worldwide scene where there there's more regulars, but there's a lot of regulars, and you kind of just know what to expect from them, and uh, you know they're sort of playing off each other a little bit more than uh, needing to break out of the mold to try something new because you know there's going to be a, a there's going to be a massive shift in the tournament composition. You sort of know. 25 people and a you know a quarter of a of a tournament like that right but with a zillion new cards that have been coming in there's just general unsettling you know where you don't quite know mm-hmm. um what could be coming out next there's so much yeah this is there's so much and there's there's a new there's a new mulligan rule starting out soon and that that's going to impact yeah. a lot of stuff so where that leaves competitive legacy i think is that i, I think it's i don't think i don't think competitive legacy is necessarily unhealthy but it's what it used to offer in terms of stability, where it didn't move as fast, and because you were usually you were mostly playing in your local scene, right? And there would be a star city in your area once a quarter or something like that. Now it's just like constant tech and constant changes being thrown at you. And I really wonder, like, is the metagame ever going to fossilize the way that it used to, or is it just going to like caramelize now? I mean, I, I almost don't want to say this, but I was like, it's funny because like. Legacy has become a lot like what I perceive modern to be, where it's yes, just like dude, you yes. kind of just like sign in and you like you know you got your deck and I'm like okay and then like something just happens and you're like oh I'm just not I, I'm just not prepared for this <laughs> you know right now <laughs> you know and that used to be like a cute thing that would happen in Legacy, but the the power of cards coming in has actually made it so that like cuteness is uh, actually terrifying. So. To to get back on track, I think this was an awesome conversation, first of all. Yep. Dave, do you want to... Uh, we talked a little bit about how you got back into Magic. Sure. But uh, do you want to talk just a little bit about like LobsterCon and, and the stuff, the, the like, events that we have going on and like what competitive old school... I'm putting that in quotes, but like what? <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think you need pretty heavy scare quotes uh, around competitive, right? I don't know, though, but continue. So, I mean, old school, I mean, to take a... A huge step back. The first thing you have to understand about old school is that it is a it, it's a kitchen table format. It's actually it's actually like a we won't we definitely won't get into like the minor regional differences um, between ninety three ninety four formats. Um, this is definitely not the time or the place for that. But the, but the point is that there are there are variations um, because it's a because it's a kitchen table format. It is entirely player driven what I would call like contemporary old school magic started really in, in Sweden um, around like 2007, 2008. And over the last, I would say like definitely like the last three years, but I guess the last four or five um, in total, there's just been this explosion of, of interest and it really was sort of exported from, from Europe and a bunch of folks in the um, the American Eternal scene, starting in Chicago, um, really seized on it in like 2014, 2015 or so. And from there, it is uh, just like the the snowball has been rolling down the mountain, getting bigger and bigger and bigger all the time. And so, um, like I said, I came back to the game. Most of Magic's history, I have not been a Magic player. You know, I played as a child in... 1995 or so um i would have been like 12 years old you know playing when fallen empires was the newest set and fourth edition was was right around the corner and then you know took long breaks from the game as uh, as many of us uh do 
but then then came back, um, got into limited for a little while around, fortunately around Cons of Tarkir, which was a, a sweet draft environment. Triple Cons was just awesome. That's the best time to get back in. It really no, it was marvelous. So I came back actually for Conspiracy. Oh god. My return was Commander. Actually, it was the Commander release, and I had, and I was like, it was weird because the deck was a hundred cards, but I like recognized a bunch of them because they yeah. had reprints. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, I know what's going on here. It turned out I didn't. Yeah, no, I mean, I so I started like drafting Conspiracy, which was really strange. Uh, then drafted M15 and, and Cons, and by Cons block, I was just like, okay, yeah, this is awesome. But even within those first whatever six months, I was like, oh, I kind of. Um, I've got this shoebox full of old cards, and I enjoy limited. I think I'm gonna like collect or set or revised edition. I bet I can um, build a revised cube and like rebalance revised so that it like mimics like a what a contemporary draft environment looks like. So I, I kind of started down that path, and then I found um, the Swedish old school blog, which is like the I don't know, it's like the Rosetta Stone or like the the, the Bible basically. It's like the it's sort of where a lot of us in the old school scenes like got our got our start. Like it was the first real regular source of of content um, coming out about you know people playing with with old cards nowadays. And so pretty soon after that, I started basically like keeping track of you know on on different message boards and stuff, keeping track of like like mentions of local players um, who were interested in old school. And by local, I mean literally like my search area was all of new England <laughs> um, and, and New York, et cetera. Um, so the first paper tournament that I went to for old school was actually a side event for NYSE, the New York stacks exchange vintage event uh, down on long Island in 2016, I believe, you know, so I was going to like um, SCG events. I went to one in Worcester in 2016. I was going to grand prix and stuff and just like trying to find people. And so that sort of coalesced um, the first New England old school event, um, which we did as like a, a side event, a, a player driven side event to Grand Prix Providence um, in the fall of 2016. We had 10 people, which was a huge accomplishment. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was just kind of from like reaching out to people like that I was finding on message boards and, and running into at these different events. There was like a, a Connecticut group that had uh, popped up and then a couple of us here in Boston wanted to, to kind of get things going. And we quickly realized that the, the population of people interested in this um, was super tiny. And so instead of there being like two separate Facebook groups or communities or whatever for Connecticut and Boston, we just decided to create this New England old school like structure. And so for the last, yeah, for the last three years, I've been organizing events under that aegis and our first major like standalone event like not done as a side event and, and, and i should clarify these side events are not in the convention hall or anything they're they're player organized and they're at the bar across the street basically yeah. um so now in like providence or worcester or hartford or wherever you have these big events i have like a favored restaurant <laughs> that i have a relationship with that we we organize the side events at and so anyway uh, by last year um it was time to kind of uh, break out on our own, not do these side events anymore, and hold our first old school event in New England just, you know, on its own two feet. And that was uh, called LobsterCon. Heavy uh, use of the Homerid uh, imagery from Fallen Empires. <laughs> that was the best-selling card on TCG Player. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, we made Homerid spike. A little MTG Finance tip for y'all. 
But uh, yes, yeah, so the first the first LobsterCon we had um, 94 players um, last September, and uh, original Magic artist uh, Jeff Mengus, um, of course, sorts of plowshares and moat and grizzly bears and a whole bunch of others actually came up. He is based on Long Island, I think, um, and came up for for our event and uh, had a couple of vendors and and just you know took over a, a VFW in, in Somerville and and had a great time. It was amazing. Yeah, it was it was just so so cool. And you really put an emphasis on that. This is like a kitchen table format. This is a casual format, et cetera, et cetera. And what really does and doesn't click with me about that is I don't actually enjoy like playing commander like a lot of people say oh you know you play commander for fun the point's not to win or whatever and so for the legacy players who might be listening like that might not sound appealing like casual because you know you're you're used to playing legacy and there's an expectation that your opponent's going to be taking the match seriously and what i learned about myself from getting involved in this old school scene and playing these events like lobster con even just playing at these weeklies and these these uh side event tournaments that dave's talking about is the, the old school community, while it is all fun and there's no prizes on the line, the stakes in a tournament don't have to be prizes necessarily. What really matters to me in Magic, I've come to find, is that my opponent is taking the game approximately as seriously as I am. Mm-hmm. And there's a reasonable expectation that your opponent is trying to win the game. And that's what I really have come to find is, is what actually matters to me more than the prizes. Dude, I'm literally looking at a Star City check that I, I won at the, wherever it was, Syracuse, and never cashed. And the one that I cashed before that, I also never cashed the check. Sick brags. Yeah. Uh, I'm a fucking idiot. I never opened my mail. But I scratched that itch playing old school with you guys. Even just playing with you, Dave. Especially, honestly, especially you and Rich and Jared and Ryan. Fucking everybody, honestly. But everybody we play with, like... We're not taking it seriously, but we're also taking it fucking seriously. And no, I think we're definitely taking it seriously, right? You like reading your tournament report from a couple weeks ago, which is fucking amazing, and I'm gonna link it, and everybody should check it out. But yeah, please like, do. Talking about you needed to test the games on Skype, and you were like at, up at two a.m. like trying to get reps in with this deck because you were afraid to play it the next day. Like that's how fucking seriously people are taking it, and that's that's just awesome. Yeah, no, I mean, I think we we care a lot about this stuff, um, and you can, I think you can take it seriously in, in service of having fun. Right, exactly. I mean the thing about having a player organized format is that you are you're not you're not beholden to E V. Um you you're not you're not beholden to going to a tournament and like just getting paired up with random dudes who like you just might not see eye to eye at all, right? Right. I think the What's what's kept me in the community, um, uh, you know, in, in the scene for old school is that like people are taking it, like I said, taking it seriously in the service of having fun. But like importantly, that your your values are aligned, and by that I yes. mean what you are looking to get out of the game. You know, winning may or may not may or may not be the most important thing for you, but your opponent, you and your opponent both agree that you are trying to like craft an excellent experience together. And, and for a lot of us, that is like, I guess I would say like spiking, but like with, like within a certain set of like constraints or, or norms. Um, and I think what, what old school has done really well, or I should say when old school works really well, it's, it, it's because it communicates like that value structure um, really, really effectively to people who are coming to, to check it out. And I think that's some of what you're, you're picking up and, and, and commenting on. 
And I honestly don't think that it's communicated well at all, like through words. I think it's through traditions and structures and just demeanor when you mm-hmm. get to the bar and start playing. Because like I played back in, I only played for a couple of years when I was a kid, but I actually went to tournaments, like pretty big tournaments. And this is just that. This is what magic was back then when the stakes weren't high at all, but it was really fucking serious for some reason, but there's no prizes. So you don't get like the grinder incentive to cheat. There's no EV there. So you actually end up having this sort of player buy-in without having the stakes and the negative things that that attracts. And it's just such an interesting phenomenon to me that I can't really completely explain but it's it's just this amazing thing, and it's it's so cool. And I think your experience at MobsterCon, especially, is just like the quintessential moment of this. Well, that buy-in, I think that you mentioned, is like the most important thing. Um, in old school, we call it getting the joke, like quote unquote. Yep. We say old school is a joke, and and it absolutely is. Like it's a kitchen table format where we play some of the most busted cards ever printed. You know, um, paper decks cost easily in the tens of thousands of dollars but, but at the same time it, it's it's serious in that way but it's also like not like we're playing at a bar with drinks on the tables we are incentivizing or or at least kind of like culturally rewarding and respecting innovation um and and doing janky and, and crazy things and yeah and like i said making sure that you're just crafting a good experience for um for you and for the other the, you know the guy on the other side of the table and and you either get the joke or you don't. I don't know. I've tried to throw you this softball like three times already. So who did you play in round seven of uh, of MobsterCon, though? <laughs> so my team played against the, the tournament organizer's team. The tournament organizer was Brian Manalakis, who uh, who runs a great old-school uh, specific podcast um, that you should awesome also podcast. probably link. All Things Considered? All Things Considered, yeah. And uh, his teammates were uh, John Finkel um, and Jamie Park. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and wow. so I played against Jamie and my uh, our mutual friend, Scott, uh, had the, I guess, fortune or misfortune of uh, going toe to toe with uh, with Johnny Magic. I just think that that's so cool, man, that, that like these players who are by any objective measure, some of the greatest players to ever play the game, mm-hmm. get the joke. You know what I mean? Like, 100%. That's, that's fucking awesome that's like the coolest thing to me just that you can actually play against top level i mean rich shea is top level too we, we play against him all the time just in our local bar on wednesday night and yeah he, no like, rich is rich joke. is tremendous and like exactly having him there in that informal environment but always bringing like my best deck you know being on my a game because yep. you because you know how seriously he takes yes the experience and Honestly, like the process of, of brewing the best deck like that you can play or brewing a deck that you're really excited about, it's like showing respect to your, your opponents. And yeah, just, just being on the same, same wavelength and, um, you know, I, I just make sure to always have something really good and competitive to, to play against Rich. And, and that always leads, it just leads to a good experience because we are, yeah, we're aligned in, in what we're trying to, to achieve. And now... I, I wouldn't say that that's necessarily cross-cutting um, the entire, not even the entire night, right? Like you have other players in the room who yeah. are um, after different things. And I think you have to match your level of your, your dex power level or just your approach. You know, you just have to have like reasonable, I should say you have to, you have to fit your expectations appropriately to, to the different opponent in the situation. I mean, just like you had to do 
I don't know, on the playground or in the, in the cafeteria, you know, right? It's like you feel someone out, like, how, how good is this person? Like, should I put these cards in my game yeah. or not? You know? It, it's, it's the same fucking And it's thing. like, and in, in back in those days, right, it's sort of like the Wild West, and if your asshole friend, like, puts together this unbeatable stasis deck or is playing with cards that you don't want to play with or play against, you stop playing with him <laughs> until he builds a different deck. Yep. And uh, and that's that's sort of the benefit that you get when you're just kind of doing it for fun. And um, again, it's it's a it is a, you know a casual kind of joke format at the end of the day. So Nate, I know you've recently moved down to Texas, mm-hmm. and I don't know about Salt Lake whether you guys specifically had an old school scene at Rogue Deck Builder Store or not, but down in Texas, uh, you do have an old school scene, right? Uh, Rogue Deck Builder lives in like central Utah. He lives too far away <laughs> from me, as far as I know. Um, sorry. I will say this though: the, the only old school I've ever played was in Utah, and it was against uh, my friend Gordon. And he is from he's he's got a he's got a very large collection. He's got a full like vintage collection, and so he was playing old. And he comes to Eternal Weekend and stuff. Uh, so he's you know, he's a great guy. His uh, his wife also plays, and, and he and he helps her build decks, and she's a she's a you know solid legacy and vintage player in her own right, which is great. Um, they've got a little group that they put together um, in northern Utah of a few people who would come down to Salt Lake City and play with us. But like, so I was leaving because uh, I was moving. I organized like a, a win a box where I bought pizza and like bought a box from the store and said, "Well, I'll play for it." Um, but he was like, and I said, "Let's play old school." And I had because I had just built my first old school deck, which was Leprechaun Ward. <laughs> yes, awesome. And and but he was playing like <coughs> excuse me, fully powered reanimator. So it wasn't much <laughs> of a it wasn't much of a match because like an all Hallows Eve would go off and I'd get like a Lanor Elves and he'd have like a Nicol Volos and two Triskelions and a Deep Spawn and I'd just be dead. But like uh well that was the only old school I ever played and that was in Utah. But the reason I was building the deck was that um here in Texas there's a, a number of um a number of committed old school players in Austin, Houston, and San Antonio. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I live, I live in, in Austin. Um, the eternal scene here in Austin is really, um, is really, is really healthy. And, and old school is part of the sort of community driven uh, circuit called romancing the stones, which is proxy vintage. I would say about once a month, there's a proxy vintage tournament, except for a couple times a year, there's a non proxy old school tournament. And, you know, Stu Ziarnik, who is the organizer of that, um, is a good friend. And I, of course, you know, want to hang out with him and play. So I was like, you know, I got to get into old school now. <laughs> and uh, that's what I, I was looking through decks and I saw Leprechaun Ward. And I was like, okay, well, I'll try that first, see what it looks like, <laughs> see how it plays, just because it's such a funny looking deck. Um, and I'll try and find a link to it to give you for the show notes, Ian. Um, but that's the reason I got the reason. I mean, I, I've, I've always had an appreciative old school going back to I, the first time I saw it played was in Chicago, actually. I was visiting Chicago for work. I used to go to MTG Card Market when I was in Chicago. Oh, yeah. And uh, there were a couple guys playing um, old school. And uh, I watched it, and I was just like, you know, the aesthetic of, the, of it is really important. And I was, but I was like, well, it's pretty much out of my realm in terms of getting a deck. And, um, you know, things have changed, or, you know, I've, I've, my priorities have changed. The number one thing that's changed is, you know, I was packing to move out of Utah, and I realized that I had, like, registered for modern like five times in the three years I lived there. I just said, forget it. I'm going to sell these modern cards I have and get like, yes. you know, get some old school cards because I don't, I don't really want to do that. I don't, I, I will, I would rather play old school 
you know, twice a year, that's about the same rate I would play modern anyway. So, <laughs> but yeah, the reason I, I started playing old school was because I was moving because there's a healthy scene. We were, we have an eternal testing night and it's all very community driven, which I, which is a real difference from, from Utah that the Utah is, you know, it's not better or worse. It's just that it's a different kind of group, right? Um, where we're more apt to get together at a bar and bring decks in in three or four of eternal formats. You know, like last night I brought Legacy in middle school. Um, nice. Generally, someone will bring Legacy, middle school, vintage, and old school. And, uh, you know, people will play EDH or something as well. But it's this eternal testing night. You know, I got to play, you know, 11 matches of Magic last night. Or 11 games, I should say. But it was like, it, it, just to get back to your point too about um, knowing what the expectations are, right? Like, it, we're all friends, you know. We're all friends here, is even if we don't know each other, right? But generally, like, there's more of a we're all friends here, and we're all in this to like have fun. And part of having fun is taking it seriously, right? And having the best game. And it actually got me thinking about something today of like, are you a spike because you always play the best deck, or are you this, are you a spike because you always try your hardest? Like what makes what makes someone a spiky player or a you know serious player? And I think that's a little bit of a debate because there are definitely people who don't play the best deck that take Magic extremely seriously, but they have different objectives. Brian Cook with Tess is maybe the the biggest example of that. Yep, I think that that's a hundred percent me too because I've never registered exactly someone else's list for an event. I just wouldn't enjoy mm-hmm. myself doing that. You know, like uh. A deck like, for example, um, I know it gets picked on a lot, and I hate using this example, but it just comes to mind, like Sneak and Show, just like a stock Sneak and Show list. Like, you know, imagine there's like a an SCG in your area. It's like your big event for six months, and you just bring a stock Sneak and Show list. Like, I wouldn't get any enjoyment <laughs> out of that. You know what I mean? Like, because it's not mine. And, like, I, I need to be, like, doing my own iterations and landing on my own conclusions and... Even if, you know, even if it does end up as the same as someone else's thing, like I want it to be my thing. You know what I mean? Right. I yeah. mean, I, I'm, I'm probably notorious for that. I will probably always play like a lower tier deck that I feel is more attuned to what I want to be doing in general with Magic, which is having fun, but like serious fun, if that makes sense. <laughs> and Dave, that's kind of like... Isn't that like you and Mano's MO from what I Yeah, definitely. Um, so I, I, I actually had a pretty uh, specific experience uh, along the lines of what you were just saying, uh, Ian, like with the Sneak and Show um, list. I And this is in the write-up too. So I just went to back-to-back tournaments earlier this month. And at the second tournament, basically, I uh, I took a, my friend's like stock workshops list. This is SCG Con, right? This was SCG Con, the side event that um, Eternal Central um, co-hosted with Star, actually with Star City Games, like an offsite at a restaurant, like proper old school event, but was you know graciously like co-hosted and co-sponsored by Star City directly, which is fantastic. Awesome. And uh, yeah, so I played this workshops list that my friend has just been. I mean, I mean, my friend Will McGrann is like a vintage ringer, <laughs> um, and has been playing workshops for years and years and years in vintage, and uh, kind of settled on this this workshops list for old school um, that he he just took down this event in California several months ago. That was basically like a murderous row of really good old school players um, from all over the country, and so I'm like, you know, I want to see what all what the fuss is about with workshops here in old school. I borrowed a, a place out of shops and, um, uh, and just sat down 
basically cold for this, this seven round event. Um, and I had a terrible time, you know, like I went, I, I went four and three um, with this like perfect weapon that was like, it was a situation where like the cards were more powerful than the pilot <laughs> kind of thing. And I basically decided after that experience that I sort of never wanted to go to a tournament again where I wasn't playing a deck that wasn't my own, like didn't match my own style. Like I basically, I want to play a deck that is worn in like a, like an old baseball glove kind of thing. And I think, you know, to your questioning and like Mano and I really enjoy like putting specific constraints um, on our deck building, you know, old school is, I don't know if it's a solved format or not, but the, the it's a static card pool for sure. <laughs> um, yeah. It's 900 something cards that ain't never going to change. And, but the ways that you can actually like engage um, with those cards, the ways that you can like make subtle changes to the format or even just within a format, like self-impose some constraints on your brewing. I, so actually for like for the last five months, I limited myself. So we have these monthly tournaments online and I limited myself to, I wanted to make sure that the recent format rule changes that we made were still friendly enough to like budget players. Um, old school is kind of a really funny format. Like I said, we play with the most busted cards, um, but we also play with, you know, the creatures are terrible, right? Like the yeah. best creature in the format is Serendipifreet. Delver of Secrets for legacy players. It, yeah. And it drops, it drops way off a cliff from there, basically. You know, we're, we're playing, we're playing literal Savannah Lions. Leprechaun, actually. Is and, and Isling Leprechaun. <laughs> But what that does is that, like, there is a huge spread of, like, card power, um, and there's also a huge spread of, of, of value, like, monetary value of your deck, right? So you'll go to an old school tournament, and you will have people competing, um, and, and very much, like, in games, in matches with decks that you can build for a, a couple hundred bucks, right up against people with, you know, $50,000 lists and stuff, and, and stuff, stuff like that. And that doesn't really happen... You know, you don't see that as much in these other formats where where the deck prices do tend to be pretty pricey, right? So, like, so I I kind of um, self-imposed this set of constraints uh, for these monthlies where I'm like, okay, I'm going to make sure that this format is still okay for budget players, and so I sort of took a sabbatical where I every month I played a different. The season was five months, so I just did one monocolored <laughs> budget aggro deck for every every month. Oh, nice. And within those constraints, spiked as hard as I possibly could. Every every slot mattered, like and and you know, workshop these things um, so that when I was playing them in the tournament, I was confident that I was getting like every ounce of performance possible out of you know whatever two hundred or two hundred fifty dollars could buy, and that was super rewarding. Um, I feel like I I learned a lot more about you know myself as a player about the format that I've been playing for years was learning new things all the time about it. Uh, and yeah, just like to the, I guess there's a theme here, like the, the theme of sort of like taking certain things really, really seriously, but not taking yourself seriously or like the enterprise um, ultimately very seriously, because at the end of the day, you know, it is a game and, but as, as a, as a certain type of spike, definitely find a lot more utility in, you know, sharpening a knife within a, a really specific set of constraints, whether they're, you know, externally imposed or self-imposed. Right. I mean, like right now we've got a we've got a tournament coming up, an old school tournament. Our next one is July sixth uh, for Romancing the Stones, and I'm debating like 
what what do I want to what do I want to commit myself to in the next couple of weeks here in terms of like card acquisition, right? I can try and get out of my modern cards and maybe get like one to two moxes, you know, or something like that. As a result, is that like the best thing I want to do right now, or is that not going to matter as much? So I should just like concentrate on building the best deck that I can with, you know, something that won't require such a big time and money commitment because you know shipping, you know, moving cards around like that is time consuming mm-hmm. and you know see what other people show up with and and what you know what i might be able to do against in that in that situation um it's a feeling i haven't had in legacy in a while and it's funny that you mentioned that i think the, the a couple things changed about one thing that changed about legacy is that actually a lot of reprints and new cards have entered yeah. legacy um in the past like what geez since like 2012 when end came out right well, my esper stoneblade deck was like all cards besides the dual lands was all cards printed since 2013 yeah like wow. flooded strands and all that Stoneforge Mystic, they all got reprinted. You know? Yeah, once the the Cod's lands got reprinted, if you were playing during Zendikar and picked up like I did, not to brag, uh, like all the Zendikar dual lands for like eight bucks each, or <laughs> fetch lands for like eight bucks each, like you know, like once you have dual land, or once you have fetch lands, um, those fetch lands, like everything else other than the dual lands, pretty much has been reprinted, and you can get in, you can put together a legacy deck and then like you know, borrow a couple dual lands and you can show up at a tournament. There's not, card availability is an issue in Legacy, but not actually, like, almost not functionally at this point, the way, like, the internet works mm-hmm. now, where you can just, like, you know, move cards around and you can, and new cards are good enough to play, so you can just open them in packs, or maybe you had, like, you know, maybe you played standard and you just have them. Uh, with old school, and the feeling, you know, that I have, that I used to have with Magic, which is like, oh, I, I can't get this card, so I gotta do what I can do. That actually, it, it's very evocative in old school, how yep. it feels the same way. Yeah. You know? Like, uh, I, I find that really interesting in a way that I, I have to sort of reorient myself to, like, feeling like that again. That's that's a huge part of the draw, man. Yeah. Do you I, like I, that? Do you enjoy that? Do you embrace that part of it? Or do you dislike that part? Because there's some people who just want everyone to be on equal footing, right? Well, it's like it's like Dave's saying, like you can you can be on equal footing a lot easier now, or in, in old school, just because of the of the way the format works. Like there aren't a zillion like consistency engines just giving yeah. you the best thing ever. Right? Yeah, it's all so high variance, right? So you you can you can take games off of much better decks, um, you know, here and there without much difficulty. Legacy and, and geez, vintage, especially right now. It's just like this fine. Everything's a finely tuned machine mm-hmm. because it's all it's it's thousands and thousands of cards with the cream rising to the top. And this is nine hundred cards, and there's not as much cream. Like, <laughs> and then in the and obviously like the only way to really impact the format is the banned and restricted list, which is a you know which is different. Which is there's a different there's different um like perspectives on what needs to be banned and restricted now than there were in 1994 for sure. Right, like. You know, yeah, we're not afraid of uh, Dingaseg, yeah. <laughs> um, and also, uh, you know, there's deck building concepts that never never applied back then. I mean, you ever go back and, and look at, like, old deck lists from, like, early championships? and mm-hmm. you, you Portent can, you, was never played. Yeah, like, things ever. like that's never, yeah. That's that that Ularod Spiders deck, like <laughs> that thing. <laughs> my, that thing. <laughs> yeah, my, my favorite is this, the Siren's Call in Zach Dolan's deck. Yep. It's just like marvelous, right? Right. Yeah, no, exactly. we've, and that's the kind of the interesting thing. And that's why, like earlier, I mentioned, like, I don't know if old school is solved or not. Like, it's it's easy for an outsider to kind of dismiss it as a solved format. But, like, to your point exactly, Nate, like, 
we are we have archetypes in, in contemporary old school that did not exist at all in any shape or form in 94 or 95 because we're able to apply contemporary you know what we know now about magic theory and about deck building and apply that back to this ancient set of of cards and the other thing that we do is we mostly play with modern rules right so outside of um, a lot of the American formats use mana burn still but outside of that you know we've adopted the London Mulligan already. You know, we don't, you know, put damage on the stack. We don't play with tapped blockers, not dealing damage. All those historical rules we just don't use just for the sake of of ease of communicating how everything works to, to new players um, and just so that we're all on the same page. And all of that has implications for how the, the cards work and interact as well. It's old cards that have all existed in the same format before, but not... If you weren't there at the time, you wouldn't know the difference, I guess, right? But man, I played against some weirdo decks back in the... Like, I mean, not that I was playing the most finely tuned stuff when I was 14, right? But, like, I played against some weirdo decks, and I would lose. And I'm like, I think all the cards in my deck are good. And I'd still lose, you know? <laughs> like, it was just like, you know, anything could happen. And um, now that's a little bit different, but more it's it's more like there's there's stuff to be mined. And when you look at an old school card a lot of the time, you have to read it like a few times and then you have to look at the oracle text and then you have to like think about the restrictions of the format like in terms of you know what's legal and what isn't and 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 all of that really there is still a lot of of ground to be mined I, I, that's why i was so drawn to leprechaun ward i mean it's been sitting <laughs> right there it's been sitting there for 25 years that you put a green ward on this thing and, and, and that's all that's and then you lace their removal okay <laughs> Are you running Force of Nature in your list? I did have a Force of Nature. Okay, good. Good. Yeah. Just wanted to check. And, uh, yeah, I had the Force of Nature. I had uh, Rabid Wombats. I had everything. Uh, the only thing I didn't have was Man Acceleration, which really hurts against the Bizarre deck. But anyway. Um, <laughs> and that's even another example. Like the, the Bizarre, the, I played this Reanimator deck with Deep Spawn. And, like, Deep Spawn was sitting there with, like, basically a, as a no-drawback gigantic yep. creature for 20 years. You know, yeah, it's sure it's from Fallen Empires, and sure it's not like it's not Grizzlebrand, right. or something like that. But like, geez, if we had thought of that at the time, imagine how oh, no, much sure. fun you could have had. It, it gains Shroud. It also it's also a um, what looks like a drawback is actually a, a reanimation enabler. Like it mills you tw- twice in your upkeep. Oh yeah, and and the people used to be so scared of mills. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> Like a millstone would hit the table in your ca- in, in your casual game, you'd be like, "Oh shit, I'm gonna run out of cards. We're gonna <laughs> run out of cards. There might even be 80 cards in your deck." <laughs> like, you know, like yeah, like I, I read when I reread Deep Spawn coming back, I'm like, "Oh, this is perfect for Reanimator. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh, you know, you can you can just give it shroud. It tramples. It does everything, and it yeah, makes fine things hard targets." That's a weird. That's a weird side tangent. But I, was, I remember just thinking like, oh, this was so obvious the whole time. This was just right there. I had animate dads. I was putting animate dead on crawworm probably or something. I don't know. And it's funny things that were there the whole time, like the ninety three ninety four card pool. Those nine hundred cards, like that finite set, was only du jour for something like I don't know between Fallen Empires and Ice Age, right? Whatever that was, probably, call it six months, eight months, six months, eight months, exactly, yeah. and then. Necropotence is printed, right? Demonic Consultation is printed. Uh, Nature's Lore, all, all these different things. Um, and then you had Alliance, you know, and then the drumbeat, that, that cadence of new cards, new cards, new cards being pumped into the card pool, you know, being t- pumped into type one, that 
has not abated, <laughs> you know, in 25 years. Whereas with old school, we've drawn the line and, you know, historically you only had eight months say to like try and break everything and, and explore everything. Um, but now we've, we're spending years and there's still, I don't know, I won't say new things because I'm sure everything has been done before by someone somewhere, but it's still, it's enough to explore and, and dig into that it remains really exciting, even for those of us who are the most enfranchised and, and taking it as as seriously as uh, as Ian uh, wants to. So, well, yeah, one thing I just want to say something. One, one thing on that point too, Dave, because it's totally true, right? It wasn't that long ago, and and Ian finally noticed that we were talking about Arclight Phoenix in Legacy, yeah, and this like as this like format altering strategy, <laughs> right? Not uh, two sets have come out since then. And you don't even see it anymore, right? And it's just gone. And Finale of Promise and Dreadhorde Arcanist go so well with it, too. And, and that's what's so funny about it, right? You see the space is there, just no one has the, the space, time. To no do one has it. the time. No one has the time. And uh, by the way, Ian, you were right. It's uh, November 94, uh, Fallen Empires released, to June 95, Ice Age is released. Nailed it. But. Uh, it gives you the, the fact that you have more time and you need to go back. Sometimes you need to go back to stuff and mm-hmm. check it out and see what's there. And there's no, there's less of an incentive to do that in, uh, in, in new formats. Right. You could, you could be missing like with any of, any of these windows in between new sets and legacy, right. You could be, you could all be missing something huge, but you just don't have the time to any, any one of these like slices, these moments in time, you just don't have enough time with it to to really dig in and get the most out of it. They're so fucking fleeting. Before they're pumping new content like down your throats, man. Like the the M20 spoilers were like especially Oh my god. Yeah. It was like we literally I I hadn't even played a fucking league yet with Modern Horizons and we were getting M20 spoilers. Mm-hmm. And it's just like holy shit, like is this ever going to settle again or has this just spun out of control now? And I don't know if that's like old school's influence on me now or <laughs> looking, looking at things as, as though they should be static for some period of time at least or if that's just like the power creep that, that maybe is, is you know, because vintage players are talking about this too so maybe it's just like they're starting to loosen the handle because like a card like Ren and Six is not busted. If you put it in a standard format, even in modern, it's not going to break that format, but like what it's doing to legacy is it's really, I don't want to call it a pillar of the format, but it's incredibly powerful. Extremely insane. Yes. I, I have now played a few leagues with it. It's really good. And that's exciting in its own way, right? It's nice to see that, that kind of stuff happen, but you know, it's, it's also cool to like go and look at, at you know, a group of, of old cards and say, what can I do with this now? What, 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 what would I have done if I knew that what I know now, right? Mm-hmm. What do I expect people to play and what can I, what can I do with this limited pool? Well, I have a actually I have a question about, I guess about Ren and Six, um, but just but just in general, Wizards prints uh, a set like Modern Horizons, and they use that. I, I know this because I've seen you know posts on on the Mothership blog or you know from from the different developers, and they say like, hey, look, see, like legacy players, you know, eternal format players, we care about you. We care about you so much that we're going to put, you know, new cards that affect your formats in into these new sets, um, and that that's a way of, of showing you that we we care about your the way that you engage with with the game. And I guess my question for you guys is like, how do you feel about that? Because it if it especially if like the cadence or like the pace of of them just like pumping new powerful cards into the format, you know, continues at this clip. Ian, I have takes. 
<laughs> I, I just want to say, is there any big-time legacy players that haven't, at some point in the past six weeks, complained about this on Twitter, Nate? Well, I think there's... The thing is, it's it's like... It's this weird sort of... I'm going to say bastardize. It's your podcast, so if you don't like it, but... I'm, it's like a, No, it's no, like, I'm saying you can swear is what I was yeah. saying today. Um, no, it's like... Yes, we wanted we want cards that will be playable for our formats, right? We don't necessarily need one sided null rod that wins the game the next <laughs> turn. We didn't really need that, you know. It's like it's like yes, we like like we want the subtle power, you know, like you and, it, and it's an art, and they they honestly what they need, and I don't, I know that Nat Mose, who is a committed vintage player, was working at Wizards for a time. You know, I don't want to speak for him, and I don't think anyone he's ever said anything, or if he could say anything about his influence on certain cards, especially something like Collector Oof. Um, just getting that card finally printed. You know, Collector Oof is a, the perfect kind of card for to put yeah. into the Vintage and Legacy card pool, right? Just like bear that it's a null rod bear that's a, that's two sided, right? You can always bolt it off of you know Volcanic mm -hmm. Island, right? But like it does that that that's that's powerful enough to be theoretically hugely impactful. On, on, a, on a format to the fact where it could introduce an entire other deck. But you've also, that, that's not the only thing that's happened, right? We've discussed on Eternal Journals a couple times, just like, there's, there's, there's some, we haven't even gotten to the, like, fourth best Planeswalker in War of the Spark for Legacy to see how good it is, right? Like, it was Teferi, and then it was Narset and Karn, and, like, you know, then like now we're at, we're at number four, like, which might be Ashiok, and, but who's got a time, who's got time, who's got the time or effort, you know? Exactly. And then Modern Horizons came out, and now we've got Red and Six. And then, like, I put I put thirty cards on a list for us to review for M twenty. They're doing they're they're giving us cards that can fit, but yeah, it can be it can be exhausting. And and it's not it's not they're not always they're not all changing things for the better. Exhausting is exactly the right word for it, and that's actually the the word I used when I was talking to Rich earlier today. Is like. I have, I've been playing less leagues than I did, you know, six months ago or three months ago. Even I, I'm just like I'm, I've been drafting a lot, honestly, because I've been enjoying the draft formats. But also, it's just like I have so many half baked lists, and it it almost feels like this Sisyphean task or this this just like Herculean effort of cracking this format. And then there's also this aspect where it's like. Almost anything is valid. Like I, in the M20 spoilers, I don't know if this is a card you talked about or if anyone's talked about it, but there's like a 2-2 flyer with haste for red and blue. And like, you know, Storm Chaser Mage was getting played in blue, red, Delver. And then it made me think about Terramander. And then what's going on right now with Dreadhorde, Arcanist, and Pyromancer. And whether you want to be playing, you know, True Name Nemesis and in what number. And like Narset's in the sideboard or Narset's in the main deck and Blood Moon, back to basics. Like there's... It feels like there's fucking infinite ways to build these decks and I, I'm, I'm just not sure we're ever going to know you know what what is optimal anymore for for some of these decks where the, uh, there are choices that seem equally valid right and and the the rest of the metagame is evolving so quickly and I, I might be beating this horse to death now yeah I mean look there's a three mana Chandra in the new set right that immediately that that just gives you double snapcaster like that would be insane, but we're not even done with like two sets ago of three mana planeswalkers. So how are we gonna get to this? You know, like yeah, there's there's just a lot going on. There's you know there's a there's a vampiric tutor in M twenty, a double sided one. Yeah, yeah like the other person gets it too, but you know 
That's, you can still figure that out. <laughs> Bro, there's there's a fucking time twister yeah, in t- one of these sets. There's a time that... twister, like a literal time twister. And it went from like, this is great, to this is terrible, to like, maybe it's okay. It's been like two and a half weeks. <laughs> it's just out of control, man. The, the the speed at which it's going and and like needing to just, I feel like we just need to pump the brakes, man. We just need to sip the water, right? Like we need to just catch up breath and... I mean, I'm doing a legacy podcast. I'm I'm forced to engage with this once a week, you know, like I, I'm to look at the meta and really put in some deep thoughts about it. And it's just turning over so quickly that it, it's, it's just incredibly, I, I mean, you probably have the exact same experience with your podcast. Yeah. We haven't recorded for this week yet. And like, I, I texted them this morning. I was like, okay, I'm going to record tomorrow. And, uh, I was like, it's gonna be a slow, like like the first when we did the, when we did the war spoilers war spark spoilers and it was two hours it was it was cute and then we did modern horizons and it was two hours and by the end we were like okay this is too much and then I was like M twenty we gotta let's just get through this <laughs> it's it's three times in in geez eight weeks that we've done these set review shows and I mean they're fun they're the, they're, the, they're a lot of fun but ooh, you're by by the end my voice is completely shot. <laughs> But that's what that's what yeah that's what this offers. Old school offers you a respite, in a way. Yes, yes. Nice manageable, nine hundred card pool. Jeez, I mean, there's literally what a hundred times that many cards in Legacy at this point. Something though that when I've talked to Legacy players who haven't necessarily played old school or you know are sort of averse to playing old school, one of the things a lot of times that they mention is you know not having power, not being able to play a powered deck when mm. they get there. Like that, that's like a serious concern for some people. And I don't know whether this is like a psychological thing. This is just sort of an area of interest for me, whether this is psychological or whether this is a product of me having played back in the day as like a poor kid with, with no power playing against people with power. But when I first got into this format, there was a tournament at Gaming Etc. Dave, I know you were there if you recall. I was playing like a Lantax, Ernageddon sort of deck that was just like the cards that I owned. And sure. there, was some, there was some really cute, weird, you know, shit in there. But I, I started out like 3-0, and I was at the top table playing against Mason. And I, I did reasonably well, but I never for a second thought like, oh man, I wish I... Or like, not, I don't even know the, the proper way to articulate it, because I don't have these feelings. But like, I deserve to have these powerful cards that other people have. And even to this day, like, I just don't own a Lotus, because I haven't been wanting to buy a CE Lotus, and... Uh, I just, you know, I haven't seen a good deal on Unlimited Lotus, I haven't pulled the trigger yet. Sure. But, like, I never stop and think, like, oh, I don't have a Lotus. I'm at some sort of disadvantage. That's just, like, a deck-building constraint to me. And, like, yeah. I, I take that in stride. Like, I, I embrace that. And I, it's, I think some players maybe who didn't play back in the day feel kind of insulted by that. But it's kind of weird because, like, d- don't other people feel that way about Legacy? I don't know. Hmm. Well, I think, that, like I said, there's a lot of reasons that's changed in Legacy. And I think one of the reasons that it's different in old school is just, like, it's, like, from my perspective, it's sort of like I want to make sure that I'm presenting, you know, like we were just circling back to that conversation about serious fun. Like, you know, I don't want someone to feel like, oh, like I beat this guy because he was playing a budget deck and, you know, therefore it doesn't feel as good or it's not as valid or something, right? And um, maybe that's my own perspective. Um, no, that's a feeling a lot of people mention having, though. They don't want to give, they don't want to have, give someone else that feeling, which I think probably says more about yourself. <laughs> yeah, but it, but it doesn't exist in reality, and it's something that that I actually thought about, but I didn't really have that feeling. But so many people mention it comes from the legacy community, and it's just interesting because when you get there and you're like, "Oh, that was fucking stupid for me to worry about that." 
I think I bet it's 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 the reason you put that one would put that pressure on themselves is that it's just a different tone. If you show up to a, a legacy tournament or God forbid you play at a modern tournament and you do something <laughs> that's just slightly below average people are gonna like you're gonna deal with people who are like oh like you're not taking this seriously because you didn't play xyz super spiky card right like you know and i think that you just don't want to deal with that kind of person but that person might not be at this tournament <laughs> so it doesn't matter right yeah that's well put yeah and it's it, it, funny you mentioned lotus too one of the reasons i was like i just kind of want a couple of mocks just because you know they look cool and you know you know i want them just i i i, I it's like sort of a it, it's sort of a personal thing too. Like if I'm getting out of modern, maybe I can maybe I can finally like you know break the seal on that for myself, right? But like it's funny you mentioned Lotus. Like Lotus is <laughs> Lotus has always been busted, but it's like so much less busted in old school than it is in oh, like vintage. <laughs> yeah, no, by far. I was just gonna say like Ian, I I I don't know how many times we've we played. I didn't even realize that you never Lotus like. You know, every time we every time we sit down for a game, it's like a it's like a battle, um, and we're both playing at a high level. Um, you know, no, no matter what's in the in the decks, and yeah, to Nate's point, exactly like Lotus isn't even that good in in the format. And that's the thing. I try to play decks where it's it's actually you know kind of minimized too, but it's sort of like it just a in the back of my brain that I'm doing it even because it's just like something that I accept as, as just a yeah, yeah. format, you know what I mean? And it's not something that I'm thinking about on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, and, and for Nate, like, I would say, like, if you're, if you're putting, you know, if you're selling off modern cards and, and buying into old school a bit, first of all, you've made the correct choice. But, like, your money is definitely, <laughs> is it nice to have moxes? Of course, um, it's wonderful. But I think there's, there's a lot of different things that you could do, that I would do first with that money before, you know, if you if you get a mox or two, you could you know play several games and not even feel the effects of having those things in your deck. Whereas you could you know put money into you know you could you could open up entire archetypes for a well placed couple hundred bucks here, or a well placed couple hundred bucks there. Right. Uh, I reserve the right to make terrible financial decisions, but uh, <laughs> but I I, I I know that I tried. I'm just there's like uh, you know. <laughs> All right, bros. Well, we're getting a little long in the two, so you ready to wrap it yeah, up? Yeah, I just I just gotta kind of close it up here because my wife just got home. Yeah, that wasn't the smoothest transition. I just saw your message. <laughs> Sorry. But, uh, Dave, is there is there anything uh, that you wanted to plug? And Nate, is there something you wanted to plug? Yes, we have Romancing the Stones Old School July sixth here in Austin. Um, I'll send you for the show notes information if you're in the Texas area or if you're the kind of person who travels for Old School. This is non proxy Eternal Central Rules Old School July sixth. Uh, Austin, Texas. And uh, for old school events that I'm I'm organizing, um, unfortunately the the big one that we do in Boston is uh, is already sold out um, a few months in advance. Um, but we are running a smaller side event during Star City Worcester in a few weeks. That's July 13th. So if you uh, if you'll be in the area and and looking to check it out, you can even just come over and, and bird some games if you want. You can look for that under the old school MTG subreddit or um, my twitter page which is uh at d Firthbard. now dave are you from are you from buffalo so i went to school in buffalo my dad grew up there oh and i lived there yeah for a while but um <laughs> i was just wondering because i saw on your on your tournament report uh diehard buffalo bills fan <laughs> i am yeah i'm a buffalo bill season ticket holder actually oh really yeah I, I get out there a couple times a year even even from boston so yeah Cool. Yeah, no, I grew up in Rochester, so. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm a big Bills fan myself, and as much as yeah, I, it's. Uh, I, <laughs> I was just, I, I just, I tell people here that I was, I was born this way, <laughs> and I can't help it. Right. 
it, it's so crazy, man, because I'm, I'm a Jets fan, so we're all just living pain. Or I guess, Nate, you're not in Boston, so you're not living the pain, but it sucks. <sighs> but anyway, thank you, anybody who stuck with us this long uh, as legacy players. If you know, I hope you, you picked something up. I hope this was of, of interest to you. I fucking enjoyed this cast, and I make this content for myself, so fuck everybody else. On Twitter, I'm at Ian18125. Uh, the cast, Dead Format Cast, is the Twitter handle and deadformatcast at gmail.com. Dave? At DFirthBard uh, on Twitter and Instagram, although I don't really gram about magic. I am N underscore R underscore G on Twitter. Uh, Eternal Dirtles drops on Mondays on your favorite podcast apps as well. And thank you for having me. Yeah, this has been awesome. Bros, this has been a pleasure. Honestly, this has been fucking magnificent. Thank you guys so much. <laughs> My pleasure. And that's a wrap. <laughs>